Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for April 30th of 2018. I'm Ryan Wilson, Penguins writer for HockeyBuzz.com, and today we have a very special guest. I have Matthew Collar from 1500 Minnesota in the Twin Cities. He is the Vikings uh, reporter, uh, however, my former boss at Hockey Prospectus and former employee of WGR 550, and that is the most important reason why I have him here, because we are going to talk about a Buffalo team actually catching a break. So, hello, Matthew. Uh, I'm not sure that that actually really happened. I'm glad that you can confirm that. Yeah, right. Um, So, we have the Buffalo Sabres, who methodically took their team apart in a move that I think most of us thought was smart, given how the league was operated. Got Jack Eichel, but drafted second overall, and some years are better than others, and the year they happened to have it was Sam Reinhart, who, you know, finished the season okay this year, but it's not, uh, let's say, Evgeny Malkin, Victor Hedman <laughs> kind of stuff. So, Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, I think that their plan, though, overall will eventually work out really well it's just taking a little bit longer than it was supposed to and uh, part of that is that they had a incompetent general manager that they started with who made all sorts of uh, overreaction type moves signings and trades that he didn't need to make and should have preferred to be patient and watch the thing grow as opposed to trying to prove to everybody that he was the best scout who ever lived and uh, you know he made some some pretty big mistakes let go a couple of solid defensemen and Braden McNabb and Mark Pesek in trades that he lost 100%, traded away a first-round pick for Robin Leonard, which is a crazy move in today's game to deal a first-round pick for a goaltender, signed Kyle Oposo to a, a huge contract. So all those things put the Sabres quite a bit behind and continued to play you know, Josh Georges for years on the first pair and things like that. So I think that Jason Bottrell came in um, in a tough situation here, but catching this break should give them the boost that they're looking for. Now you get a couple more players to come up from Rochester. You make a few moves in the free agent market with cheap guys that are out there. Uh, they might only need a couple of million. They could be depth or something like that. And all of a sudden you could be competitive again. You look at how quickly Colorado turned it around from one year to the next. We've seen that from a team almost every single year who goes from worst place in the league to the playoffs. And, you know, I think that the Sabres will have a a good chance to make a big jump next season. Yeah, especially in that division with Montreal kind of not knowing where they're going. Ottawa's in disarray. So you've got some teams that have been in the playoffs the last few years. I think Detroit would be another example of a team that they can probably leapfrog next year. So, uh, And I like that you brought up Botterill and um, kind of building the team up because – a uh, big difference in the Rochester Americans this year with him at in charge made their first uh, playoffs in what seems like forever. Didn't win a game, but he, he did this with Pittsburgh and Wilkes-Barre where he, he built up uh, that prospect pool. And, and those are some of the guys that are name guys now, depth players for the Penguins like Connor Sherry and uh, Brian Ross, Gensel, uh, even Matt Murray. So uh, he's, he's starting that in Rochester. I think that'll help him out. And that's what you're going to need, too. I mean, when you're talking about Jack Eichel's contract going up to $10 million a year, and I think that they will work out a pretty lucrative deal 
with Sam Reinhardt to stick around and be a core part of the team. I could see the argument for trading him, but historically you look around, how often does it work out well for the team that trades the guy who was drafted second overall? Uh, pretty rarely, and he's only 22 years old. Uh, I know that a lot of hockey players start to hit their prime around this age, and you expected maybe a little more from him in the first half of the season, but in the second half showed you how good he can be. And when you look at a lot of these players and you try to analyze them, it's hard because when you're one of the worst teams in the league and your defense is as poor as it was still last year, even though they picked up Marco Scandella, the rest was mostly a disaster. And your goaltending is letting you down on a nightly basis. Your depth is pretty sad. It's hard to evaluate guys, especially younger players who get in those situations. And how many times, I mean, even Nathan McKinnon, people were down on a little bit after a couple of years, and then he had a, a hard trophy caliber season. So I, I think it would be in their best interest to uh, re-sign Sam Reinhardt, even if it costs more than they want. But then if you're going to do that, you've got to hope that those players from Rochester can come up and fill out the rest of the roster. And that's how Chicago has kind of failed and how Pittsburgh has succeeded in a lot of ways is having those guys who can be sprinkled into a lineup and still uh, give you a lot of value when they're only making $925,000 or whatever it might be. And the Sabres just have not had that over the past few years. And that was a, another failure under Tim Murray of many, which was that Rochester was consistently bad after he got there. With, under Darcy Regeer, they were okay and certainly had some times where they were great. But then, you know, under Murray, they were abominable. And that's just not going to help you out when – you're trying to look for players to come up through the system and, and give you a hand on your NHL team. So I, I think that they are going as a whole organization in the right direction. It's just going to be interesting to me to see what they do with some of these guys. You know, Ryan O'Reilly, could they possibly try to trade him away despite his expensive contract? You know, what what might end up happening there? And, and a couple of other players that – uh, maybe Rasmus Ristolainen, who would have a lot of value on the trade market, but oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think but if so. But if there's a if there's a Taylor Hall type of trade, then you have to make that right. But if there's not, then that situation gets pretty interesting, um, you know, because I I don't think you would want to trade him otherwise. So there are going to be a lot of decisions to be made, but it, I I think that that what you pointed out about Rochester is one of those signs for Sabres fans to kind of cling on to that things are going in the right direction. Yeah, and it's so important now. I think we're seeing a trend towards RFAs kind of hitting bank a little bit sooner. And when mm -hmm. you're looking at um, – I personally am super excited for Middlestat. I think he's wonderful, and what a great pick that they got. What was he, seventh or eighth overall? In that range. Um, that's a great steal to have. Dolan's going to make his money. Eichel's going to make his money. You need these uh, other guys to, to hit the ELCs and make contributions. And I think the other point you, you covered, that you kind of beat me to it, it's so hard. I've struggled the last few years to analyze players on these, like, super tank teams because it's, it's so tough to, like, the skilled players aren't going to get any help. I think I tweeted out the other night, Jack Eichel's got to be thrilled. He's going to get his first controlled zone exit in the NHL since he <laughs> came aboard. Because it just, their back end's been so bad, it's tough to to figure out what's, because everybody's numbers are have been bad on the Sabres, uh, possession-wise and relative. and all. It, it, it's tough to sift through. And I felt the same way um, 
few years ago when I did the chapter on Colorado for the Hockey Prospectus book, it was it was tough to to filter through uh, when your teams are that bad. So I think the best example ever of that, other than Taylor Hall, but he was still great on bad teams. It's probably Justin Schultz. When he was in Edmonton, it, he was a disaster, and they hated him and thought he was a bust from the the big exciting signing. And then he goes to Pittsburgh and he's playing all sorts of minutes and scoring all sorts of points because he's got great players around him. It's the right role. I mean, sometimes I think we do lose sight of the fact that everyone, every person affects the person next to them in this sport. And Rasmus Ristolainen is a great example of that because two years ago he's playing with Josh Georges in a system where he was asked to just be a net protector, which would mean he'd need somebody to carry the puck and I can uh, – yeah, confirm that yeah. Josh Georges is not that guy. And and this year, so he has this horrible, these horrible numbers, terrible Corsi. I'm seeing all the analytics geniuses talk about how bad he is and all this stuff. And then this year, he's a plus 1.5 uh, Fenwick, plus 1.1 Corsi percentage. Like, I wonder what happened. Oh, yeah, that's right. They traded for Marco Scandella, who is a solid defenseman. He's, he's still not the guy that I would want him paired with. But he's a proven NHL defenseman, and all of a sudden his numbers are better. Yeah, I mean, that, sometimes that's the best they had. <laughs> you just you, you just can't analyze these guys in a bubble. You have to look at all the things that impact them. You know, Ristolainen is a minus twenty five this year. Well, his on ice save percentage is under ninety. Well, whose fault is that? And that because last year his on ice save percentage was nine twenty eight, and now it's eight ninety nine. So like these numbers, they change from year to year to year depending on what other people do. And that's why it can be difficult. And it can cause teams to overreact, trade players that they shouldn't trade. And I think it would be a mistake to trade a 40-point defenseman on such a bad team that has much higher potential if he gets put with someone like Brandon Gooley. Um, that's one of the decisions they're going to have to make. But I still think that patience is the way to go for Jason Bottrell, and that was the mistake that his predecessor made. Yeah, I wouldn't be rushing to necessarily trade Ristolainen. I guess the only thing I worry about with him is the even strength scoring is kind of lower for what I believe I perceive his skill set to be. But whose isn't on that team? No, I know, and that goes back to it's tough to to pick this apart. And I think having Dull and I assume he'll probably jump right into top pairing minutes based on all the glowing... Uh, reviews I've heard from his uh, teammates and scouts and just watching some of the highlights. He's basically uh, a genius forward that happens to play defense <laughs> is what I've gathered. Yeah, yeah so, that's, a, that's a good description. And middle stat will be up the whole year. So you've got – and I wouldn't rush to trade O'Reilly either, although um, there's been rumblings of maybe like – personality clashes with him i don't know how true any of that is i just catch it on the peripherals uh, but he's he's still a really good forward and i think he can be part of the answer if they can turn it around quick enough i think it would probably be a mistake to rush to trade ryan o'reilly too and i from what i heard about this year and what that locker room was like i could see why ryan o'reilly would get frustrated he strikes me as a guy that really wants to compete. And the funny thing about him is, you know, I always got the idea that in Colorado, he didn't like Matt Duchesne. 
and they didn't get along. And then, you know, they trade Matt Duchesne and they all, they all of a sudden are a better team. And even though Duchesne has good numbers and things like that, uh, you wonder if there was something there that was causing them to not be as good when they had him around, uh, maybe being a selfish player or whatever it might have been, not giving a whole lot of effort on one side of the ice, taking a lot of bad shots. I think we saw that from Evander Kane when he was in Buffalo that he was a very selfish player and basically shot the puck anytime it came near him, no matter if it was the right thing to do or not, and was mostly uncoachable. So, yeah, you know, playing with those see, players drives me fucking bananas. Yeah, <laughs> even even yeah. to this day, it's like, come on, do you not have any perception at all? And I could see why that, how that could be super frustrating to play with. Yeah, so, I mean, you had him in the locker room. He's not exactly known as a uh, positive locker room influence. Um, you know, the, the two kids with Eichel and uh, Reinhardt may not fully understand how to be winners yet, and I think that that stuff does matter, the, the culture and guys learning to be professionals and all those sorts of things. I, I think that is somewhat of a process, especially when you're at, at this stage with a team that's been so bad. And I'm certain that Ryan O'Reilly didn't come here to babysit those two and, you know, worry about Evander Kane and what he was going to do off the ice and everything else. I mean, it has been a complete mess. And why would he be happy with that? You know, just because he got paid. I mean, he strikes me as a guy that really desperately wants to win hockey games. And, you know, I've thought about him as a you know, potential trade guy for someone like the Minnesota Wild because the Wild are in a win-now sort of mode that they've got a lot of their older star players and then, you know, the other guys are in their primes that they need somebody who's a real competitor and a two-way player and a battler that wants to win. And that, it just, that I can imagine for him how miserable that would be in a locker room that didn't really strike me as one that cared last year. Yeah, and he was getting going to get paid regardless of where he went didn't have to be in buffalo um but he he signed that and you know he he always i don't know if he did this year but he usually plays the world championships when his teams miss the playoffs for canada and always does quite well uh, i really like him a lot as a player it just gets into that are they going to be good enough while he's still good enough kind of deal yeah, yeah, and that is a hard thing to predict because you're talking about a guy that plays a lot of minutes and plays very hard. So what's, you know, how long is he going to be good? Is he going to be good for five more years or is he going to be good for three more years? Um, but, you know, it kind of goes back to the theory. If you're looking at somebody's numbers on a team that was so bad and he's having to play too many minutes because his coach wants to win games by any means – um, that maybe that wasn't exactly the right fit for him anyway to just be trying to carry a team like he did. He still comes away with 61 points. I mean, that's not too bad there. But He's uh, good defensively con- too. Yeah, I mean, and he's he, that's why you know he is the type of player that I think every team wants that can play in all sorts of tough situations and all that. So if he isn't demanding a trade, which he may be, uh, but if he isn't, then I wouldn't want to just give him away it's just the salary cap situation is pretty pretty dicey. But if you could fill out the rest of the roster and have he and Jack Eichel as your top two centers, I feel like that's a, a pretty good start. And then depending on where Middlestat might go, if he ends up being the you know the a center or if he's a winger, but if Middlestat ended up being a center, then you could have Middlestat, Eichel, and O'Reilly down the middle. 
And even if O'Reilly's playing the third line center, well, that's that's pretty darn good. And somebody who could take on kind of a Ryan Kessler type role uh, with the Ducks of playing those those tough minutes in the playoffs, or what David Boland did once upon a time. I mean, that starts to sound pretty darn good to me. Um, uh, quite so, frankly, it reminds me of a team I cover from yesteryear uh, with Sid Gino and Stahl. Kind, I mean, I mean, yep. obviously not quite there, but I think O'Reilly's better than Stahl. But and the other two younger Buffalo players might not be Crosby and Malkin, but they sure are. They sure do look great. And it's tough to match lines when you can do stuff like that. Um, so I guess I was reading today, the Sabres might be picking up the SHL defenseman of the year. I don't know who that is. I've never heard of him, but you know, it, it seems like Botterill knows where the weaknesses are at least. And he was pretty famous for signing like the college free agent kind of players mm-hmm. that there's no cost to acquire. You just uh, low risk, maybe medium reward. And if you do that over and over again, you start to build your depth up and at least it can get a little bit better. Um, I think what I would probably start looking at if I were Botterill is do something that none of the other GMs care to do. And I would probably think about, offer sheeting somebody like Jacob Truba to really kickstart this rebuild uh, if if Truba were to make it to a July 1st kind of thing. I think that would be the, instead of saving the draft picks, I think they've, you know, had a few years uh, where they've collected some really, you know, you go, what, Eichel, Middlestat, Dolan. I think you're at a point where you could probably uh, trade for a proven player, give up some assets that way. Yeah, I just the one thing about it is to not get crazy because you won the first overall pick and do something that you might eventually regret. And like the Kyle Oposo signing is kind of that thing that comes to mind right away. And I know nobody could have predicted that he was going to have the concussion issue and that has taken him down a notch, it seems, because he was a player that I always liked and I thought his skating ability would give him a chance to have a pretty good contract here at a decent number of $6 million that he would produce 60, 70 points somewhere in that range. And he just doesn't seem to have bounced back as well from that as maybe they hoped, or, you know, obviously they didn't see that coming when they signed him. So the projection was quite a bit higher than he's turned out to be. But at the same time, you could go back and say, you know, considering what you're going to have to pay down the road for certain players, that might not be the type of move you really want to make. And I mean, I would be all for what you're talking about, about using the offer sheet at the same time, you've got to think about that contract kicking in for Jack Eichel and how you're going to manage. They have to get rid of Zach Bogosian any way possible. Uh, A buyout makes a lot of sense. Nobody's trading for him at this point. Uh, and then I don't know what you do. How would with a buyout work with the? Um, sorry to interrupt, but how would the buyout work with the lockout coming? If you buy them out now, and the lockout happens, and they have compliance buyouts, can you then go back to that and like buy out the buyout? <laughs> uh, that I, that's too complicated for me, man. Right, but like <laughs> get the wheels turning. Uh, well, we got me, a lockout uh, in two years. You might be able to get out of some of this stuff. Let me see what it is to buy out Bogosian right now. Um, it I would agree end with up, you, though. He's got to go. It would end up costing them – oh, it, this is going to happen. I mean, the buyout cap hit would only be $1.1 $1. $1 million for the next two years, $2 million 
uh, two years down the road. I mean, you've got to do that. Yeah, that's and that, a gimme. And, and that's another, I mean, that's another um, Murray trade that, you know, you like the Vander Kane as far as a trade in, in the player that you thought you were getting, um, but you knew there was some risk there. It's not like they gave up anybody who was untouchable. Armia has become a better player, and Myers is a third-pair defenseman for Winnipeg. So, but having Bogosian on that contract is a loss. He was, when he was in the lineup, he was a third-pair defenseman at best at $5 million, and he's very rarely been in the lineup. And it's he's just been one of the least valuable players at that position in the league over the last few years, and that was who you traded for. And sometimes with, sometimes with uh, Murray, you could go through every trade and look at them in a bubble and say, well, okay, now that I could justify that trade, I could justify that trade, and I could justify that trade. But the sum of all the trades was you lost a lot of assets, a lot of young players, and you got back what? Ryan O'Reilly, who doesn't want to be here, basically, is the only thing that you have. And it's not not a particularly good look uh, for him, but obviously that's why he doesn't have a job still. Um, but it just is interesting to me what Jason Bottrell was taking over with the fact that um, so many of those trades were made and hurt them long term. And the Bogosian one is definitely going to be hurting them for years to come. Well, the good news for Sabres fans is Jason Bottrell's one of his biggest strengths is, is managing the cap. And it'll be interesting when they get closer to the, the ceiling. Uh, some of his preseason uh, roster moves and stuff like that on the surface, you're like, what the hell is going on? But he's saving like thousands of dollars for future LTIR. And I, I just got to the point where I'm like, yeah, that's just him doing his thing. It'll all work out. Um, so he's pretty good at managing the money part of it. I think that's uh, a great strength of his. So um, I, I have no concerns about him getting out from under some of these uh, interesting contracts because, man, he took over a hell of a situation, and I don't know if he would have dug out of it without the lottery going the way it did the other night. Well, that definitely, yeah, that definitely kickstarts you, and nobody knows more about that than uh, Jason Bottrell, right? I mean, coming from Pittsburgh, how um, getting those top picks can can bail you out in a lot of ways, uh, but... At the same time, he's still going to have to be really savvy with the way he builds his team. And as far as your confidence level, if they had stuck with Tim Murray, it would have been a heck of a lot lower than it is now. It will. Uh, I, I'm going to be keeping an eye on some of these situations to see what he does and see if he does get kind of creative or what's his choice going to be with the goalie. I mean, Robin Leonard was not very good last year and is shown to kind of be a head case in a lot of ways and inconsistent in a lot of ways. And we're getting to the point where he's too old to say, well, no, he's young, he's young. Like, no, not really. I mean, he's getting into where goalies should be in their prime by now. And uh, But it doesn't seem like they really have one that's coming up that's going to be really good or at least that's projected to be that way. And that will be another situation that could determine how good they end up being because, you know, you look at this last year, if they had average goaltending, they wouldn't have been as bad as they were, but they didn't get anywhere near average goaltending. Um, so well, I guess their tank year, they <laughs> they had to trade. Yeah, they did. Yeah, because <laughs> they were doing too good. Yeah, yeah, they did. And I and I wonder how much of that will be on Phil Owsley. And I think this year, if they don't show massive progress, then he's going to be out too. And I mean, last year, 
went way worse than I expected it to, although ultimately will be a good thing. Um, but I didn't see any sort of uh, progress from them under Phil Housley for a lot of players, and, and that's a little bit concerning. I think once you get some defensemen that can give controlled exits, you'll see the forwards get to do things because tail end of those Biles my years um, in Pittsburgh when the, the forward depth wasn't really – like the forwards just weren't getting the puck with speed and able to do anything. And it was Mm -hmm. a lot of, uh, as you probably saw in Buffalo, the stretch pass flat footed stuff. And it really limits the ability because guys close so fast. Now you have to alter their gap control and standing still is not the way to accomplish that, at least in my opinion. So you get guys like Schultz who were underappreciated. And I think a lot of, Botterill's influence was getting defensemen that maybe weren't classic uh, physical guys, guys that could move the puck, understanding that, hey, these guys might give up some goals on some weak-looking stuff. But overall, you're winning out because you're getting the, the your great players' time and space. Could they, keep, uh, could they bring back Bilesman as a power play specialist, though? Is Crosby and Malkin coming? No, he had a good power play in Buffalo. Um, yeah, yeah, he did. It was the one thing he did really well, the – Overall system was not beneficial, and I think that Sidney Crosby bailed him out a lot on the stretch pass stuff by just being better at hockey than everybody else. Um, but I will give the man a lot of credit for his power play. I mean, it, it, no matter where he was, I know he had a lot of talent, but to have consistency on the power play like that, um, not everybody has that. And the Sabres showed it last year that after he left, they weren't anywhere close to as good. Yeah, power play can be a funny thing. You can have talent, but if you're not moving around creating two-on-ones, like Toronto, I know they were like seventh in the league, but like Mike Babcock is talked about uh, untouchable as one of the best coaches in the league. And quite frankly, I haven't seen the results from him. And his power, Austin Matthews is not on the top power play. That to me is, I, I, that is overthinking it like times a thousand. Yeah, you do have to wonder about how long he is uh, set for Toronto if they don't win a couple playoff rounds going forward because it seemed like there was some unhappiness there between him and Matthews, and I will, I would gladly pay off a guy to go away and uh, as long as I can keep my former number one overall pick to build around. Sometimes it takes a few coaches. It is funny when we go back to how things looked at a certain time with Babcock going there instead of in Buffalo, well, Buffalo would have been a lot better right away than they were probably because they had Babcock, but at the same time, they wouldn't end up with this guy, with Dolan, (laughs) in the first overall pick by being bad and firing a bunch of people. So, I mean, it's funny how uh, serendipitous things can be sometimes. Um the playoffs in general, second round, anything catching your eye, interesting? Um, well, I, I'm pretty unhappy with the fact that the conference finals are going on now in the second round, aren't you? I think the Western Conference finals are going down. I think, well, I guess you can make a case for Boston-Tampa being the conference final, but um, I wouldn't quite rule Pittsburgh out yet. Um, they're still pretty good. It's not it's not clear cut no. uh, in the East as it is in the West, but it's kind of like last year where Ottawa ends up being a conference final team, and that's just a laughing stock. 
I mean, oh, how, Pittsburgh how, needed that too. A lot of uh, people they that did. probably read my stuff get the Pittsburgh people get mad at me because I called last year's cup very lucky, and they don't want to hear it. But like, they got out possessed like by everybody, and just rode a PDO wave of shooting and save percentage that was crazy. And you know, you can't take that away from them. But at the same time, the flow of play was not like 2015-16 where they murdered teams. And yeah. I think this year's team is in the middle of those two. Yep, I agree with you there. I agree with you there. And and we could still see Washington. They seem to be playing better now than they were playing a lot of the season. And they could still win that series for sure. I think that's a pretty even one. But I, I do look at both Boston and Tampa Bay as stronger teams than Pittsburgh. You, you never know with Crosby, and if Malkin comes back just fine, then they've always got a chance. It's like LeBron with the Cavs. Mm-hmm. Even if they're a weaker team, they've always got a chance because they've got those two players. But I look at Boston and Tampa as the much stronger all-around teams. But in the Western Conference, I think it's a joke. I mean, San Jose killed Anaheim in the first round. They deserve credit for doing that. Uh, but the fact that the two weaker teams are playing each other and the two strongest teams are also playing each other to me is just wrong. I mean, because one of these teams has to go home and say, Oh yeah, we only made it to the second round last year when really they would have beat the pan. I think they would have beat the pants off San Jose or Vegas, either one of those teams, Nashville or Winnipeg. It's making for a great series and that's fun, but it just doesn't seem like it's got justice to it. You know? No, none at all. It's, I really like how those, Two teams are built, too. I really like a lot of the players. Uh, you know, the the Winnipeg forwards, it's, it's just uh, they finally got away from the Chris Thorburn kind of stuff and um, letting letting some of their skill, like, would you rather have Thorburn or a guy like Joel Armia? It, just little things like that on top of the premier young talent that they have. So that's been enjoyable to watch. I think... Um, Washington, if they could ever figure out to maybe play Jacob Verano with some talent instead of the fourth line and stop putting Tom Wilson there, they might might have something cooking. Well, how are you going to have grit then? Where's your grit? Jeez, I, I don't know. That's a great yeah, question. Yeah, I, that's oh, right. Man. That's right. If anything, um, did we learned the last two years. How do you win without it? It did make me laugh when Minnesota fans were like, man, it's just that we didn't have as much toughness as Winnipeg. Like, no, I don't think that was it. <laughs> no, mean, don't yep, get me they, wrong. They, Guys they, like Wheeler and, and Shifley are big bodies, and, and they certainly play physical, but um, no, it's <laughs> it's they're really damn good. That's that's the, the issue at hand. And yeah, they're tough. I mean, they're tough, but they also like are super skilled too. Winnipeg, by the way, is a good example for Sabres fans to look at that it just took longer than they ever expected it to, but they got there. Yeah, that plays your Tim Murray point. Shoveldayov has been really patient. He didn't make too many trades at all at first. Yep. So um, I, I learned this in Stratomatic. Do you ever play Stratomatic? I, I have not. I know of it. So a lot of I'm in a stratomatic league, and a lot of times you end up trying to make trades because they're really fun to make, and you think that you know what you're talking about. So you're like, oh yeah, I'm robbing this guy. I'm gonna move this guy for this guy, and and my team's gonna be great. And maybe in the short term that it works, but then what often happens is you get a couple years down the road and you realize like, well, you know, I did get that guy, but we didn't win. 
and it wasn't worth it. And I gave away this draft pick that they used to take whoever and, you know, and kind of on and on and on down the list. And a lot of times it's just if you sit there and accumulate your draft picks and you can deal with some seasons that might be disappointing, you ultimately have a better chance. And there's also a thing that I was reading a study about and just general managers, front office people, they believe in themselves too much that they think that, oh, we've got all this information. We've got analytics now. We've got all this stuff. We got all these scouting reports and I've got so much experience. So I know because I'm very smart which way this is going to go. But really, I think the, the best people at decision-making realize when they have no control over something and, and whether it works out or not. And just because you scouted player X and you really liked them, um, it might not be the right move to deal away a bunch of stuff to get them, if that makes sense. Yeah, and you're just increasing probability of being right. There's no true being right. And plus... You know, and then there's injury variables, and I mean, the list goes on. It's it's far from an exact science. You just try to, I suppose, you know, eliminate some of the the obvious bad stuff, like the the players that you know aren't contributing at all, and stay away from them, and hope the ones that um, can contribute uh, live up to their billing a little bit. So. Yeah, and that's the thing too is sometimes you have to deal with the fact that some guys will be busts and not work out. And you just have to say, well, that's kind of how it goes. But if we play the odds like Winnipeg has, a few of these guys turn out to be really, really good and they can drive your team. You don't need everybody to hit. You just need a couple guys that drive success to hit. And, of course, drafting number two overall with Patrick Line didn't hurt. All right, here's a segue. <laughs> We're going to end on this topic. Speaking of drafts, and reaching for the stars and teams that maybe pick seventh overall and trade up. Um, so you cover the Vikings. Uh, you're very familiar with Pat Shermer, who is the offensive coordinator. He had some quarterback attributes that he spoke about the other day that mm -hmm. you need to be a good quarterback in the NFL. And fourth out of those four was arm strength, which leads me as a Buffalo Bills fan. What the fuck happened at the draft? <laughs> Um, well, I don't know that you have uh, the smartest management with the Buffalo Bills either because they drafted an inside linebacker with their other pick. And if I were to rank all the positions in terms of value, inside linebacker would be at the bottom. And they passed on a lot of really good prospects to take the least valuable position that exists on the field in 2018 because of it's become such a, a passing league. And with Josh Allen, I will never not be baffled by Josh Allen and by the interest from the NFL about him. It is so weird to me that they like this guy because you will hear so many people say measurables are okay, but it's not about the measurables. And this goes for players. This goes for managers and all that. It's not about the measurables. It's not about the measurables. What it's all about is the tape. Is the guy actually really good? Can he really play the game? How well? How smart are you? How well do you understand the game? And I see from a team that went 13-3 and with a quarterback that does not have a strong arm at all last year here in Case Keenum that one of the things that he was great at was just processing the game quickly and then getting the ball out quickly. He was one of the best in the league at that. And, you know, there were some times where he would run around a little bit, but that aside, the majority, it was making good decisions 
and, and getting the ball out. And that's at the very top. And then after that, accuracy and arm strength. I mean, what percentage of throws go more than 20 yards down the field these days? Like 5%? With some of these freak athletes up front, you're not going to have time to do that. Yep. It's just yep. not going to happen. And and some of these corners can stay with the guys a little bit longer, which extends it even more for the time for the line to to do that. It's um, You're obviously way uh, closer to, to the football than I am. I kind of uh, don't follow much college football, but I'm thinking small school, crappy conference. He still doesn't have good numbers. Mm-hmm. It's not like he lit up a bad conference. Um, I just don't get it. And there was legitimate big school guys there that have usually the, the attributes that you're looking for. And I, I thought the first warning sign for me is when they let the Jets leapfrog them uh, in a year that they were supposed to be gung-ho. But, yep. I mean, to, they could have had Sam Darnold. Do you think for a second maybe if they got up there they would have passed on Allen if Darnold was there? I kind of hope so. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know that I would trust them with anything after making this decision. Even if it works out, it was still wrong. Does that make sense? That you're. I, yeah, I truly believe that. The evidence at play when you made the decision said this. Right. And there's, there's always going to be a chance that um, things do work out. And I, gosh, I hope they do because last year, you know, as you know, the fans around Western New York have been waiting a while to kind of feel good about the Bills, even though I don't think they were planning on being a playoff team last year. I think it kind of threw a wrench in their quarterback plan. Although maybe yeah, not. yeah, they got the guy they quote unquote wanted, but but the um, but the fact that Josh Rosen was still there and Rosen is a, a well developed player uh, with great footwork, great mechanics, great technique, and very intelligent. I mean, it really shows – I think it says something about your head coach that he doesn't want personalities. And I heard this from somebody who is close with the locker room, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. to try to just be as vague as I can, that the the players last year, they made the playoffs. They were not happy with the head coach and the way that he handled players, and it seemed very, he, very collegiate-like. He rubbed me the wrong way the second he took, like, the pool table out. Yeah. Like, it's like, dude – Come on, and, it's 2018. These guys know the deal. They're going to give you their all on the field. You think because they, they play a game of nine ball, they're not professionals or some shit like that? Well, it's that really bothers me. What's really funny about it is I, I've been listening a lot to Joe Thomas's podcast, and you know he's a Hall of Famer, one of the smartest players to ever play. And uh, he was talking about how every new coach they would get would come in and say the same things. Oh, your last coach didn't push you guys hard enough. It was the culture. It was you guys didn't work hard enough, so we're going to teach you how to really work. And he's like, that was never it. That was, ne- that was never the reason that the previous coach got fired. It was never the reason. And and just it took the it could, took coaches years to figure it out, and sometimes they would just get fired before they ever really did. And that probably is going to be the case in Buffalo um, unless Sean McDermott figures it out. But he doesn't strike me as the type of guy that will. And that's, you know, there is being hard on guys and setting a standard, and I agree with that, but there's also going too far and treating them like children, whereas, you know, these are all grown men. These are people with families who have been in the league for years and years, and, you know, when you're taking away their pool table, it's like, okay, that's disrespectful to them as a professional, and that it doesn't really sit very well. So it's funny that that's the coach that made the playoffs, but, I'm not saying you need to go all the way the other way to Rex Ryan, but it's somewhere in the middle 
and I don't think that he's found that yet. But, I mean, it that could end up making for a pretty tough situation going forward here because as soon as something goes wrong, he's the one that they'll all point at, that the players will not have that guy's back uh, if he's the one treating him that way and things go downhill. And I don't expect them to have a very good season this year. Like, if, if, if you're going to go down that hard-nosed professionalism, no-games mantra, how the hell do you sell Peterman going in over Taylor? <laughs> oh, I, I have no idea, and I think he really showed himself as a first-year head coach doing something like that. I mean, I don't care how frustrated you are with Tyrod Taylor. I mean, that guy, Peterman, I mean, he can't throw the ball. Like, he just doesn't have enough velocity. He doesn't have a strong enough arm. I mean, yeah, arm strength doesn't matter that much, but it certainly matters some. <laughs> and when you got a guy who's a fifth-round pick who's never played before, who has no arm, uh, he's going to have a pretty darn tough time. And you send him out against the uh, Los Angeles Chargers defense, I mean, are you out of your mind? That's one of the best defenses in the NFL on the road. You, you just you got to be crazy. It's and, okay. It was an okay debut, or worst ever. I don't know. <laughs> and the and the only reason they make the playoffs is because some other team made a play. I mean, boy, oh, they yeah. are yep. <laughs> they are in for. I think they are in for the biggest drop off of any team in the NFL this year. I mean, they could be one of the league's worst teams. Last year they had a, a very easy schedule of defenses overall, and just barely made this happen. And if they start Josh Allen right away, it could be. It yeah, could be really if ugly. If they lose enough, maybe they can draft their franchise quarterback. That's You know what? And here's what's great about that is that they had a chance after E.J. Manuel showed not to be good enough. They had a chance to draft. Now Bridgewater got hurt but was a franchise quarterback before that or Derek Carr. So you could have been sitting there drafting either one of those two, and they chose to believe in E.J. Manuel when everyone knew they shouldn't, and it ended up throwing them for a loop and the whole Sammy Watkins thing. I mean, this is this is an organization that's been chasing its tail for a long time, and it's pretty clear that uh, even though people were never happy with Ralph Wilson as an owner, I'm not sure how much they really upgraded. Um, I, th- I see similar tendencies. I think that Josh Allen stuff reeks of owner meddle, meddling in there. It does, being, yeah. Being infatuated with uh, going on the field and watching him throw the ball 65 yards in the air or some and- crap like that. And when you hear somebody talk about a guy having big hands so he can throw in the winter. Oh, I mean, my God. Well, how many freaking snow games have been in Buffalo the last decade? Three? Yeah. Handful, yeah. And and even then, who cares? Like, where was Brett Favre from? Guy played in Green Bay, and he was from Mississippi. What None difference of it matters. Tom Brady's from California. Right, yeah. What difference does any of this make? I mean, it's just a, it's just ridiculous, absurd logic. And that's why, that's why I say, even if – this guy becomes a franchise quarterback your logic was so bad and inexcusable and and to hear josh allen say well if i just completed 18 more passes or 16 more passes i would have had a much better completion percentage well yeah sure me too and if i had just chipped in on every single uh golf hole i ever played i'd be tiger woods like what are you talking about i mean if or kim jong-il one of the two yeah right everything works that way in sports 16 more completions is a whole game's worth buddy I mean, yeah. against feeble competition, no. Less. Right. I mean, that's. I mean, that's just the the classic logic of of failure. You know. I mean, I don't hear anybody who's actually good ever say that. Uh, I, I used to hear baseball players, minor league baseball players, who failed, who'd say stuff like, "Yeah, I just need another hit a week, and then I'm a 300 hitter." Well, you know what? There are other guys who actually get that hit instead of talking about it. So it's a it's a it's a tough situation, and. 
the only way to get around ownership that's so poor um, and meddling as it seems that it is, um, is to have a quarterback that bails you out. Uh, and it doesn't seem to me like they have that. And the rest of the roster is exceptionally bad when you're talking about wide receivers. You know, LaShawn McCoy's getting on an age now as much as I respect him as a player. Um, but you, there is not much for this kid to work with either. And then you trade away your left tackle. Uh, that's what? Trade away your left tackle. I don't understand that at all. I don't care right. how good your other tackle is. Keep both of them. Right, and they're not really too cost prohibitive. But what do I know about football, I guess? I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, well, I, I know that whatever they've done since they got rid of Doug Whaley hasn't made a whole lot of sense to me. And I always felt bad for Doug Whaley because he got hitched to Rex Ryan's wagon by none of his choosing. And only because his owner meddled and made a really stupid decision for a guy that was good 10 years ago. And it's just that it, it, you know, even though they made the playoffs and everyone was happy, there isn't much that's actually changed there. So good thing the Sabres got their guy. Yeah. I mean, uh, just my, my close friends from Thursday night being just so dejected by seeing Rosen there doing all the hard part about trading down the year before acquiring the picks to move up and we knew, damn it, I knew it as soon as I heard Josh that the stupid last name was going to be wrong. <laughs> yep, wrong Josh. I just, I just knew it. So um, it sounds like we got Ralph Wilson 2.0. So that's, uh, I mean, Ralph you might deserves have credit for keeping the team there. might have something even more dangerous, though. Something even more dangerous is a guy who's willing to spend money. Who and is younger than Ralph, but who? Yeah, he's going to be younger. He's going to be around for a while, but his willingness to go off the deep end and, and demand that his uh, people spend, spend, spend is just as bad as uh, Ralph Wilson not ever wanting to pay anybody and letting great players walk out the door. Well, I'll say this: if Jason Botterill can steer the Sabers right, maybe he will on the football side start to maybe with the next GM hire, because you know there's eventually going to be one, uh, maybe <laughs> Batterill can kind of save the process for both teams if, if things start to change a little bit. Uh, yeah. Yeah, maybe, that's just Maybe. I think what you school. hope for is maybe they build up a defense that can help you out. And uh, I will say that I like A.J. McCarron. I mean, I, I actually think that A.J. McCarron is a better quarterback than most people think he is. I don't think he's a superstar or anything, but he's kind of along the Nick Foles, Case Keenum area. Well, you know, you know the list as well as I do of Bill's quarterbacks and Jim Kelly. So I will take middle of the NFL <laughs> any day of the week. So, um, all right. That was very, very Buffalo-centric. I haven't done that in a while. So, um Thank you for taking the time out of your day to, to, to come on the podcast. Anytime, man. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Um, where can everybody find your work? Uh, 1500ESPN.com is the site that I wrote, write mostly about the Vikings, and also ESPN Insider is where I do most of my hockey writing. Yeah, not enough hockey anymore from you. I miss having you in the local market. I know that. Well, yeah. So I've kind we, of we miss you in western New York. I appreciate that. I've turned mostly into football guy. I just ran through a wall right before we did this, actually. Yeah, well, coming off draft weekend, you know, I yeah. blame you. Yeah. So um, you guys know where to find everything for the podcast. iTunes reviews, patreon.com slash hockey hurts. 
uh, all that stuff. So um, thank you, Matthew, and um, we will catch you next time. Thank you.